She has been named one of the top PR influencers in 2021 and has one of the top 25 must-read PR blogs. One visit to Michelle Garrett's Twitter feed and you will know why she is one of the top PR leaders on the internet. She is all things PR, but she is also all things freelance. Her freelance chat every Thursday on Twitter is wildly successful. Also all things freelance. Where people turn to for tips and ideas on how to move their freelance business forward. She's also the co-host for Friday's Twitter Space PR Lunch Hour. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Debbie. It's so great to have you here, finally. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I know. I feel like we know each other. It's always nice to have this one-on-one um, -on -one conversation. So thank you for well, having me. Well, we are always face-to-face -face every Friday. Or not face-to-face, -face, but ear-to-ear -ear every Friday. Right. But this is our first face-to-face. <laughs> Right. So <clears throat> describe the work you do and what led you into this field. Well, I, let's see, I am a public relations consultant and freelance writer, and I do kind of both equally with my clients. I do a lot of writing for them, and I also help them earn, uh, place earn media articles and get media attention. So those are probably equal parts of what I do. I really got into this because I love writing. I have always been a writer from the time I was a little thing um, under the tree with my notebook, you know, writing before we really had computers, honestly. <laughs> so I have been at it quite a while and I have a degree in journalism and PR is kind of just a way to blend a lot of the things that I really enjoy into one profession. Did you know there was a freelance isn't free act in New York City mm -hmm. and it is quite interesting to read because I don't know if there is one anywhere else. Yeah, no, I don't know if there is either. New York is kind of a leader, I think, in that way. But I've seen, I believe, Freelancers Union, which has a website and I've written for their blog and they have a lot of resources for freelancers. I believe they are part of that or involved in that. And that's, I think, where I heard about it. But I do think they're kind of, New York's kind of ahead of the curve on that. Okay, so one of the things that I usually <laughs> tell people when you're a freelance uh, writer and freelance whatever mm -hmm. um, is that it's you're always looking for work. You're always looking for clients. So it's like you're perpetually unemployed. <laughs> right. <laughs> so with that in mind... Um, I don't know about your family, but does your mother or your family still ask you when you're going to get a real job? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I have been doing this for so long now that I think, you know, I, I've become, you know, people kind of understand that I work for myself, but I still wonder if they really get it because I have um, a sister who will act like, well, you know, you can just drop everything at the, you know, you know, whatever you want and just come and go and do what you want. And I mean, it is like that to a degree, but also I have clients that I have to, you know, be available for. And, you know, if I have a meeting or something I'm doing, I can't just, you know, 
stop and 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 run out to to meet somebody or do an errand or whatever you know i do those things when i plan them in my schedule that's the beauty of working for yourself in my opinion there are people that i don't really get it they think that you're sitting at home like doing your laundry or doing your nails or <laughs> i don't or think doing nothing really <laughs> yeah right like you're just watching shows all day watching netflix or whatever but there's so much more to it i mean and I don't, that's another point though, that I would say is that it's not for everybody. Cause if you don't have any self-discipline and you are just kind of a person that gets off track and you could end up doing other things rather than working all day, it could, it could happen. I hear people talk about that and certainly have experienced it myself where you get distracted with something and well, there goes your day. So you have to to balance it, but I don't think people fully understand, but I do think people understand a little bit better than they used to because I started out in California where it was pretty common to work for yourself, but back here where I'm at now in Ohio, it's like when I when I was living here before I moved, people were not really doing that, not really working for themselves that much here and there, but not a lot. With the real job outside of retail, because retail is very unstable, it usually brings you stability and the regular paycheck so that you kind of know when you're going to be getting paid every month. But with freelance, it's very unstable. Sometimes you don't know if you're going to eat. And but there's that trade off freedom for stability. And once you've had the freedom, how hard is it to go back to a real job, so to speak? I think it would be pretty hard because I've never done it, right? So, you know, I have been approached and interviewed a couple of times over the years for regular jobs, what I call regular jobs, full-time jobs. It's just really, it, my heart would, wasn't in it. Like, I just can't imagine the feeling of giving this up because it feels like freedom to me. To me, that's just worth so much. Yes, I am making a living at it. Certainly, I've had my ups and downs as far as better years and worse years and all of that. So I'm not going to like sit here and say, I hate the whole six-figure freelance thing. I kind of just don't, I don't buy into that always. I mean, yes, you have to support yourself, but it shouldn't be only about that. And for me, it's definitely not only about the money. So... Yeah. Being a full-time freelancer, how important is it for independent contractors, freelancers, or entrepreneurs mm -hmm. to have their own website? Or if you can't afford a website, what's mm -hmm. an alternative that you would suggest? Well, we talked about this on Freelance Chat pretty recently. We talk about it off and on because there's there's really, there are some people that firmly believe that you do not need your own site to freelance. And I'm, I'm not going to say you absolutely have to have it, but if you are a deliberate career freelancer, which I have been pretty much since the beginning, I started with this website on day one. It was a brochure site and it was very simple back then. Of course, now it's, it's I have a blog and I still don't really sell anything on my site. So it's pretty simple. And that's why I feel like it's really important to have something up there that it's your own ground, as opposed to having like a LinkedIn page with some people I've had, you know, a couple exchanges with, there's a person on Twitter who just swears that all you need is a LinkedIn presence. I'm like, well, if that works for you, that's fine. But I would definitely argue for, you know, having a home base, which is your site, and then also doing social media. So that's, that's what I would say. Would you post, uh, what's your thought about posting prices on uh, on a website? There are some people who do post prices and there's right. some people who don't. But with freelance work, 
it's very difficult if you customize your your projects. Yes, and that's always been kind of my position is that I do customize and I don't do cookie cutter, you know, it's the same for every, but but I am going to be publishing a little bit of pricing and I'm going to test it out to see how it works because I have been strongly encouraged to do that. I've been convinced that it might help me in a couple ways. It might help me get more of my ideal clients and also help like kind of weed out anybody who is just doesn't have the budget. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I respect, you know, especially like solo business folks and smaller businesses that don't have the budget, but I just am at a point where I don't really think it's worth my time and effort to work with somebody who just really, you know, wants to write one press release and call it a day. You know, that's, there's somebody for that job probably out there, but it's not necessarily me. Also, you know, when you're, we're posting prices, it's very, well, even just pricing in general is very difficult. I think that everybody particularly women in business, it seems, struggle with trying to figure out what the pricing is. Even if you're accomplished and you've been doing the job for 20 years, it's still difficult coming up with that price point so that you still attract the people that you want to attract and maybe, like you say, weed out the ones that can't afford you. Right. Because, I mean, there's a lot of tire kickers out there, too. I have always been really open to talking to just about anybody who gets in touch with me. But I've kind of stopped thinking that way because, A, because I think I'm probably at a point where I'm not necessarily looking for new clients as much as I used to be because I have some steady clients that have stayed with me and I really enjoy working with them. And so I'm very selective now. It just wastes a lot of your time to take those calls. The other thing is you'll take the call 30, 60 minutes on a call. Then I'll do a proposal. Maybe I don't do like a 20 page proposal, but a quote with some, you know, ideas, some scope of work on there. That takes me what another 30, 60 minutes. Then you send it and you never hear back from them in some cases, which is just rude. You know, they ghost you, which some people say, well, that's just part of working for yourself and you have to just go on. But it's true. It is. But like, I just am tired of that. You know, like I just... I don't want, I'd rather have people kind of like disqualify themselves before they even go that, take me down that path of just kind of wasting everybody's time, honestly. That's true. So like anyone else who has a freelance income, you have to declare taxes on the money that you earn. In Canada, depending on what type of freelance work you're doing, you can claim pretty much, for me as a writer, I can claim my streaming and besides the telephone, the internet, all the tools that you use to research and look things up and that you need for your work. Because sometimes depending on the type of work you do, you have to stay on top of pop culture, which is where, you know, cable comes in. But if you're in broadcasting or you have a paid gig where you have to be present, your face is your product Mm-hmm. You can write off your makeup, your hair salons and all that stuff. Is mm-hmm. it the same in the U.S.? Do you Are you able to write off a lot of things on your freelance income? 
Well, I really count on my accountant to help me with that. Yes, you can with some things, but I think it is a little bit, it just depends on, yeah, what you're, what kind of freelance work you're doing, I guess. And then, like I say, I just depend on him because the tax laws and the code changes every year, it seems like, and he knows all of the ins and outs and he works with other self-employed professionals. And so he really is the expert that I turn to for that because I, for one thing, do not want to get myself in any kind of trouble with my taxes because I've heard some real horror stories about that and people not paying their quarterly taxes. We have to pay that here every quarter Mm -hmm. we pay. And if we don't, you can get penalized. Maybe you underpaid at the end of the year, you'll have to make it up. So it can be really a little intimidating. That's why the first person I hired when I went on my own was an accountant to help me. (laughs) Good idea. So we pay taxes, we run Mm -hmm. businesses. And however, how often if we would be a millionaires, if we had a dollar for every time we heard, this will give you great exposure. This is good for your portfolio. Or I need you to take this test for me before I hire you. (laughs) How many times have you heard that? (laughs) Yeah, I know that's one of your pet peeves. I mean, Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think they people will try to get you to jump through as many hoops as as they can get you to jump through. You have to be the one to push back a little bit on things that you don't feel are fair. I definitely have written for, I guess it would be for exposure. I've written without being paid for it, but I did have an end in mind. I had a goal in mind and it did help me reach that goal. And so a lot of the things, if somebody asked me to comment and they're writing an article, I'll do it. I feel like that does help me kind of build a presence and people, you know, read that or maybe see me somewhere and and maybe we'll get in touch when they need help. So I feel like there's a balance between things that you know are like wrong And then there's also kind of a gray area where people aren't really trying to take advantage of you necessarily. You're getting something out of it. So you would say, yes, you're both benefiting from it. So I kind of fall in the middle a little bit on that, but I know what you're saying. And I don't do writing tests because they, I have examples. If they see how I write, I can send them some examples. I'm happy to do that where they can just go online and, and go, you know, look up my portfolio and everything there, you know, too. So they don't, I don't understand the need for that. I think that's just making people jump through a hoop that, yeah. you know, why? Yeah, it's it's a question for sure. Also, you're right about doing some things for free and interning mm-hmm. and, and doing what some of the things. I look at it too is when, particularly when I started in the National Hockey League, I was not being paid for it. It was kind of an intern position, but I used it as a networking opportunity to find, I ended up getting a lot of paid gigs out of result of it. And it just moved my career so forward. So you have to do things if you want to do something really bad enough. Sometimes you have to do them for free in order to get your foot in the door. You're right about the exposure, but only if you have control of it, only if it's something that's in your favor, like if Ford's doesn't want to pay you, but wants you to write an article, then you might go for that because it's got a big reach and Mm -hmm. puts you on the maps. Yeah. I mean, that helped me a lot, probably five or six years ago. I just started writing for PR Daily about things that I was passionate about in the industry. It led to 
more opportunities for me and other writing gigs. And I love that. I would do that anyway, but it does help me. It help me helps me get business too. So I think there's an advantage for me in doing yeah. it. So which came first, PR lunch hour or freelance chat? Freelance chat is, I just was looking at LinkedIn. I was looking at my profile over there. It's three years and seven months old. That's what it says over there. So I launched it in September of, oh gosh. So it'll be 2018, I guess. It'll be four years old this year. And PR lunch hour is a year old. So, but they're both really thriving. And I mean, to me, it just underscores the need and importance um, of both of those topics and, and areas of interest for people. I see more people freelancing and I see a lot of people interested in, in comms and PR because they understand to build trust with your audience, you need pros to help you with that and get your name out there and be out there where uh, people can get to know you and that way they can trust you and look to you when they need you to uh, provide a, a, a service or a product or whatever it might be. So tell us a bit about freelance chat and for those that might not know what it is. Well, it's a Twitter chat. It's every Thursday at noon Eastern. We specifically chose that time. I worked with some friends in different locations around the world because I wanted it to be accessible to anyone anywhere. We picked a time when people across the pond and other locations could join us. We get people from the West Coast, of course. It's earlier out there and later in Europe. We get people from all over, really. And it's really anybody that works for themselves. Some people have thought because I do freelance PR, it's only for PR people. No, no, no. It's for anyone that, that is self-employed freelance. That's a consultant. We have people that work in all kinds of areas, graphic design, website development. Of course, we have a lot of writers, just people in all people in content, people in all areas. A lot of it is marketing, but we talk about topics that would be, you know, benefit anybody that works for themselves. So I have to ask, how did you hook up with Tanya McKenzie and Tamara Sykes for that PR lunch hour? That was just me being on Twitter, right? And just running my mouth on Twitter. <laughs> Which we know that I like to do that. So yeah, she, I, I mean, I met her and very shortly after that, I don't know when she and Tam connected, but then she asked if we were kind of complaining about something in the industry. We had some kind of beef that we were talking about. I think that she asked if we would want to try a space. And I didn't, I, at that point, it was really new and I had not been to one or done one. And so I was like, well, why not? What's there to lose, right? So, and here we are. And I really didn't know either one of them before that very well. It's been really fun to get to know them. People from all over the world come learning and and hearing from all those people that come is the best part because I feel like it just makes me feel so much more connected to what's going on all over as opposed to just in my own little backyard or my own little corner of Twitter or my own little city or region or whatever. So I really appreciate that uh, a lot. And our experiences are universal. They're not specific to one country. Right. That's also very interesting because you hear people, yeah, all over saying kind of the same things, but it just really warms my heart to hear that A, we all have struggles and B, people can get around those struggles and we share our wins, we share our challenges. 
course, we talk a little hot topics, which is always fun because I think we all have opinions about things and we have nowhere really to share it. And they're just posting on Twitter. Look at this article about this crazy thing that happened, but we can actually talk about it. There's not only one take on it. There's more than just your opinion about anything. This week is going to be a really <laughs> interesting <laughs> Yeah. A lot of angles on that one. So we'll see. Yeah. Out. <laughs> but for the future on this broadcast, that means the the slap on the Oscars. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Around the world. Just Google it. <laughs> really? <laughs> doesn't know about it. I, I'll be shocked, but I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Who doesn't know, but... So uh, I find that, especially for writers, people, a lot of people really do expect you to work for free or for rubles. And can you help me with my resume? (laughs) Or I just need this long blog piece. So how do you handle some of these asks? particularly if it's a job you want to do, but they mm-hmm. they kind of think that it's not going to take you very long to do it when in essence, you know, it's going to be a two-day job. I had to ask of the community because on Twitter, I was like, well, what do I do? Somebody's, I feel that they're kind of over asking. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to help. I was just thinking about this. I am so happy if somebody needs something amplified, if somebody has a quick question, I'm more than happy to answer and help if I can. But sometimes they do just kind of like out of the blue, come up with something. And it's like, well, now I'm going to have to research that because I don't just know. Maybe they think you know everything. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I mean, I know like I do know a lot of stuff, but like I don't know everything. I don't specialize and have it right on the tip of my brain every time somebody asks me a question. I have to go Google it just kind of like they would have to do. So it's hard because, you know, you don't want to look like you don't want to help people. And that's how I'm always afraid it's going to come off. But by the same token, you know, I have clients that are paying me to do work, I have to focus on that. I did just recently set up a link that's connected to PayPal, a Calendly link. So if somebody wants to pick my brain and, you know, like, I feel like it's kind of overstepping, I'll say, Hey, yeah, you can sign up right here. And then they prepay and I'll get on a a call or whatever with them. But I, at least it kind of cuts down a little bit on overstepping that I think there's just a balance there I love that actually (laughs) that's a very cool idea you don't have to name names but what are some of the cool projects that you've worked on the ones that you really thought were a lot of fun oh my gosh well my very one of my very first clients was it was it was an inventor of a flying machine and I'm not kidding it was like a, a device that you step into and it had these big like rotors on the top. He actually got it to a point where it would take off and fly off the ground for a very short amount of time. But to get it any further, he really had to have like NASA or some other company invest in it. And so it, it never really flew for lack, <laughs> lack of a better term, but he was really fun. We had press from all over, again, all over the world. We had like the ABC Evening News. We had the Sunday London Times. We had every science magazine and just, I mean, the papers. It was crazy. It was really fun too. He was on a budget. And at the time I was new running my business, I probably should charge him way more than I did. But we kind of tried a strategy where we go to the Associated Press 
and we would have that reporter come out. Of course, when he wrote the story, we would give it to him exclusively, and then it would just run everywhere because the Associated Press distributes all over. So that was a really interesting and fun project. That's just something I'll never forget doing. So cool. So even though you manage PR for other people, you have to have your own PR <laughs> in order right. for people to find you, right? right. So what advice would you have for other freelancers on how to network and maybe where to network to do their own PR, so to speak? Yeah, well, you have to talk about your wins, right? You have to be comfortable or get comfortable talking about yourself because if you don't talk about yourself, who is going to? And some people will say, well, my clients will talk about me. I don't have to do it. I shouldn't have to, or I'm, I'm too shy. I'm embarrassed. That's fine, but I wouldn't rely on it because honestly, everybody's busy. If they write you a nice review, which you should be asking them for a testimonial um, for one thing, they might share it with somebody they know, but the odds are that you're going to have to share it. You're going to have to be the one to put it on your website, to put it on your social media. And don't be shy about it. There's an off-putting way to do it, I think, but you can also do it in a way that people are like, wow, good for you. You know, like, that's really good. And that's what I love. One thing about PR Lunch Hour is that Tanya always starts with having us share our wins because I think we forget. We, we are so hard on ourselves. We're so quick to like, be hard on ourselves and look at all our fails. Like, what did we do that was wrong this week? Well, what did we do that was right? How did we get there? What did we do that really worked? Maybe by sharing that, it might help somebody else. I like the way that we do that on Friday, but I definitely think you have to not be afraid to toot your own horn and really just get the word out about what you're capable of and do leverage credibility through your clients and people who have worked with you to help you tell that story for sure. But don't hide your light. Okay, this is a question I have to ask you because <laughs> I just want to know, how many times has your cats stepped on your keyboard? <laughs> wow, that the number is infinite, right? Because he was just <laughs> up here. If I had that, I closed the door before we got on here because I was afraid he would come in and cry. He wants up on my desk. And then he walks around. I was talking to somebody the other day and here he is sashaying across the desk and right in front of the zoom and i'm like okay well this is but to me it's i <laughs> i don't see it as a bad thing as long as he doesn't accidentally like close a, a document or send an email or something like that i asked that question because <laughs> i had this orange cat luke and he, i would do that i would lock him out but he would be so loud and scratching at the door. I just had to let him in and just deal with whatever happened. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's probably outside the door. I haven't heard him yet, but if he hears me in here talking, he'll be like, what gives, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh, wow. Um, Gosh, that's so hard. The quote that I live by is the Maya Angelou, people will forget what you say, people will forget what you do, but people will never forget how you make them feel. Mm -hmm. I live by that. I also feel like as I work with clients, B2B clients even, we have to remember that on the other end of whatever we're promoting or marketing or or talking about our human beings that are doing the buying, that are building the relationship and, and that are having the trust for the brand or whoever they're buying from. We have to remember that our actions kind of speak 
as loud as our words do, and we have to walk our talk. I think that that's just a guiding principle for me all the time. Well, that is the absolute perfect way to end this broadcast. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome.